Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and this is Life Over Coffee. If this is your first time stumbling upon our podcast or our videos, I'm very glad that you are here. If you haven't made your way over to our website, it is a sanctification center. And so we deal with all things pertaining to life and godliness. Every month, we reach hundreds of thousands of people with the practical message of Christ, and it's our joy to serve them and to serve you too. Recently, we had a gentleman come to our ministry. His name is Nate, and he told Chad, our mastermind director, he said, I just stumbled on your ministry by doing a Google search, and I read a few articles, and I'm being helped already. Well, the articles are free because we give our resources away. And so, Nate, thank you so much. I'm glad that you stumbled on our ministry. I'm also thankful that you have taken the initiative and you have become a supporting member. That encourages me because people like you help to underwrite our ministry so that we can reach hundreds of thousands of people every month. Because we give our resources away, we just ask God to bring people in to support. And so, Nate, if you haven't jumped on our forums yet, I want you to do that. We do have private forums for supporters only. And that's, that's one way that we can honor them for underwriting our ministry. And so, Nate, thank you uh, for supporting our ministry. I'm glad that you have already benefited. And if you want to really jump in, please get on our forums. And we would love to engage with you as we do that every day. I had a lady write in, and she was asking about small group life in a local church. I'm going to share with you what she wrote to me, but I do want to remind you that if you have questions that you would like for me to answer, maybe it's questions like this that really has universal application, and if you do, I would just encourage you to write in and ask, and maybe I can develop a podcast like what I've done here uh, for this lady who's asking about small groups. And so if you have a question, just go to the bottom of our website. You'll see a link that says get in touch and so if you do that and say hey here's my question and then you can flatten it out you don't have to have specific names or locations you can if you want to it doesn't matter to me uh, but what really matters is is that we get your question answered and so this lady wrote in and this is what I'm doing here in episode 447 and so let us know how we can serve you and it would be our joy and privilege to do so if you want to see the show notes for what I have built out here do go to episode 447 and you're looking for the title how to have a dynamic dynamic small group experience. Some of the things that she asked me were, what are some of the core elements that will help you to have a vibrant small group life? Is it best to have mixed small groups or gender specific groups? A great question. What are other things that make up groups that can genuinely pursue each other with truth and love for each other's sanctification? And so in this episode 447, I want to delve into 
small group life. And I trust that it will aid those of you who lead small groups. And I also trust that it will serve those of you who participate in small groups so that you can work together to have a most effective small group experience. And so before I get into what I shared with this lady, I do want to read the specific question and comments that she wrote because that will help to set the context to what I want to share. And so she said this, We have visited several churches that have small groups. Each has a forum to express interest, and they ask on the forum to provide your age group. Every church that I've ever been to wants small groups according to age. Am I the only one who is confused by this? What is the effectiveness of this method, gender-specific Groups. I'm not sure if they do this because it's an easy way to group people or because it is the best way. Maybe I'm not seeing this correctly and someone could enlighten me. My husband and I attended a small group where members were of various ages and stages of life. There were grandparents, there were empty nesters, there were high schoolers and parents and, and small children's parents too. In this small group, we experienced tremendous growth we were spiritually challenged. We had accountability. I enjoyed learning from the older, wiser Christians who could say, yeah, we went through that and this is how we made it. If people are all the same age, they can share and relate to their issues, but few would have answers or wisdom on navigating those challenges or offering hope. Here's a parenthetical, she said. For the record, I get keeping singles and married folks separate, but other than that, I'm at a loss. So my question remains, why do churches want to divide people into small groups according to their age? Now, that is a very long, several questions that are embedded there, and so I want to work through that, and again, I trust that this will help you. And let me start out this way. The Bible doesn't stipulate how to operate a small group. And so we just need to say that right up top. Each church determines how they want to run small groups. And church to church, it just varies. And so our role as church members is to obey and support the leaders of that church while engaging the context that the leadership provides to serve that church. And so you want to distinguish between a way of doing something and the way of doing something. Now, you're asking me a specific question, and because the Bible does not say how to do this, I can only give you a preferential response, meaning my preference, but it might not be yours and it might not be someone else's. And so you do have to distinguish between the articles A, the article V, and you want to make sure that if the Bible doesn't say it, then it is a way, not the way. And so what I'm going to lay out for you here is a way, not the way. And you really do have to understand that. Now, Jesus had a small group, and it was gender specific, and they all seemed to be about uh, the same age. But that is a narrative piece of scripture. It's not 
the the teaching there is not this is how you should do it you should have gender specific groups what would jesus do this is what he did and so we can't take his disciples as the normal way of having small groups again the bible does not the bible does not lay out the question that you are asking. Now, it is important, though, as I've said, that the church that you attend, if you choose to be part of that local church, then you're choosing to come up under uh, the hierarchical structure in that church and that you're going to submit to the leadership of the pastors and you want them to pastor you with joy, meaning that if they have a preference to do it a certain way, then you be obedient to that way because they're not asking you to sin. And so if this is a significant hill that you want to die on, maybe that small groups have to be done according to your preference, then you really need to think carefully about the local church that you attend if they do small groups different than what you prefer. But again, this is just a way, not the way, because the Bible does not tell us specifically how to have small groups. Now, the second thing that I would say is that you would have to determine the purpose of the group. Why do you want a group? Because there can be a hundred different reasons to have a small group. So in this episode, I am only going to talk about one specific small group experience. And I think this parallels or mirrors the question that you're asking me. And so I am going to be speaking about a sanctification group. Okay. And so when I use the term small group, I mean sanctification group. So in this episode, in my mind, those two words, those two terms mean the exact same thing. Small group, sanctification group. Now, you can have a hundred different groups that could be different things, and maybe there is a call to have gender specific for those groups, but I'm not talking about those groups. I'm talking about a sanctification group when I, t- when I talk about having a dynamic small group experience. And this is where folks come together to intentionally spur one another on to love and good works. The teaching that you would see in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And so this is the small group experience that I'm talking about. This is what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir one another uh, to loving good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, again, he wasn't writing that this is the mission statement for small groups. I've already established that the Bible doesn't tell us how to do small groups, but I'm using these two verses as an application of what a sanctification group should be, that we should consider how to stir one another up to love and good work And if you have a sanctification group, then everybody in the group should be looking around the room considering, I want to consider how I can stir you up. I want to consider how I can stir you up to loving good works. I don't want to neglect this small group uh, environment as the habit of some is, but I want to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. And so I'm making an application of this passage of Scripture, not an interpretation, but an application, and I'm laying it over a small group or a sanctification group setting. 
All right? So the Bible does not specify, and I am speaking specifically to sanctification groups, not the other hundred types of groups that you could have in a local church. Now, here's my preference. I'll go ahead and tip my hand. Uh, this is my preference for a small group. I like mixed groups. I like mixed groups of all ages, from zero to a hundred. That's what that would be my preference. When you look over the landscape of our culture, there's at least two places, and maybe it's the only two places, where you have gender-specific groups. In school, where we have public education, you have first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and everybody's the same age. And then in Sunday school, where you have the same kind of stratification those are two contexts where basically everybody is at the same place at the same age. But as you look out over the culture, virtually every other context in life is multi-generational. Now, you might can say, hey, Rick, here's a, a, a single generational group in addition to educational system and, and Sunday school. Okay. But there are very few of those. Almost all of life is multi-generational. Your family, if you have multiple members in your family, a husband, wife, and children, is multi-generational. The work that you go to, if you work outside of the home, is multi-generational. The hobbies that you belong to uh, is, is generally open to any kind of person that wants to participate in that particular hobby. When you go to shop, when you go shopping at, at Walmart, you are engaging in a multi-generational context. When you take a stroll downtown, when you go to the play and see the show, virtually when you go to the restaurant, virtually every place that you go in life, it is a multi-generational context. Now that is one of the reasons that it's important to me to learn how to engage people who are not like me, who are older, younger, they live differently than I do, they're not like me. People will naturally gravitate to their own kind, to their own preferences. And what I'm sharing with you, it was very important to us when our children were younger. When our children were younger, we live in a, a cul-de-sac and there were Multiple families there when all the kids were younger, they ruled the cul-de-sac, by the way. And there could be 12 or 15 kids out there on any given day. And, and they just naturally like whoo, just gravitated toward each other. And we never had to say, hey, I want you to get together with, with the other kids in the cul-de-sac. No, uh, our problem was pulling them apart. Uh, getting them ready for bed and baths and so forth. No, they naturally gravitated to their own kind. As parents, we never, we never had to mandate that you hang out with your own kind, that you hang out with the kids in the cul-de-sac. They just did it. They loved it. There was a gravitational pull right to the middle of the cul-de-sac. But what we had to be intentional about is having them to hang out with other people who were not like them. And this was very important to us as parents when our children were young. We wanted them to engage specifically people who were older than them. Uh, we wanted them to look at models, people who are farther down the road than they were. 
so that they can learn from them. And these, these people who were older and farther down the road and wiser were supplemental to our parenting that we did with our children because we knew that our children were only going to be children for a half a second. But they were going to live the majority of their lives. They were going to live as adults. And so we wanted to get them ready to live as adults and start prepping them for the world that they would ultimately step into and would make up the bulk of the life that they will live. Uh, They would only be 15, 1 to 15 for 15 years. And if they live to be 90, then there's 75 years that they're going to live in an adult world. And so this childhood experience was going to go away, and I wanted them to know how to live as adults before they became adults. And this is one of the problems that we have in our culture today. We have kids who turn 20 or 25 years old, and they have no clue about how to live in the adult world because they have lived in their kid world many times, most of the time, self-absorbed in video games and have very little exposure to the adult world. And so having a multi-generational group from a parent just from a parenting perspective I'm speaking of was very important to us when our children were much younger I remember we were going to a restaurant a number of years ago with uh, our friend uh, Rob and his family and and Rob said you know there's not a six-year-old in this place that I would want mentoring my six-year-old and I thought that is very wise advice And then he followed up by saying, I would not want my six-year-old mentoring any of the other six-year-old kids in this place. And I thought, yeah, that is true. I want them to receive the loving care and correction and the direction from those who are older and wiser. And so I know that Rob had embraced this philosophy as his parenting style for his family, and we did too. And so for us, I think it's wise to have mixed groups where you can have this Paul to Timothy connection. I tell people all the time uh, that you need to have a Paul. Everybody needs a Paul or a Pauline, someone who's a little older, the Titus II lady for the ladies, and for the men to have other people who are older than them, who have the courage and the competency to be able to speak in their lives. Well, we wanted to incorporate that in our children's lives right from jump. And so our children have never uh, been shy hanging out with adults because they've been living with adults all of their lives which is also another benefit. Because our children were so used to being around adults when they were three, four, five, six years of age, when they became older as teenagers, they could look adults in the eye and not be intimidated by adults and carry on adult conversation with adults because they've already been doing it for a decade. And so having that mixed group was very good. Again, not just for kids, as I'm making a strong case for that, but also for every everybody else in the group as well. For example, mixed groups do position all of us to engage all kinds of people, not just not just our kids who engage those in the cul-de-sac, but as we become adults, we find ourselves collecting and gathering around those that are just like us. I've even heard people say in a church context that they're not my kind. They're not my type. 
And, and when I hear that kind of language, I think about Jesus. Imagine Jesus standing in heaven and talking to the Father and say, they're not my type. Well, in actuality, we were not his type at all. We were depraved. And so Jesus had to come and take on the form of a man and become like us, engage us in order to save us. And so when you have a mixed generational group, there is a challenge there to meet people that are different from you. Also, mixed groups prepare Christians for more aspects of life. Not only do you meet a broader swath of people within a small a mixed group context, but you meet a broader swath of problems and complexities and cultures within that group, which is only a maturing process. It only makes us better. You see, there is more that we don't know than what we do know. And if we're going to be the kind of people that's going to sequester ourselves off to what we do know, then we are cutting ourselves off from the unlimited, infinite amount of knowledge that we don't know, and we're not going to grow. We're going to stagnate. And so what we want to do is we want to embrace our ignorance. Our ignorance is infinite. Our knowledge is finite. And if we just stay within the parameters of our knowledge and not step into the infiniteness of our ignorance, then we're not going to mature and grow. But if you have people around you who are different from you, then you're stepping into your ignorance. And now you're learning and you're continuing to grow. And the only way that you can grow and mature is to add to your knowledge, which means you have to step into your ignorance. And so mixed groups help to spur one another on to loving good, uh, loving good works as we learn more about those who are not like us. Now, a few more specifics about a, a mixed group. Young people, for example, can learn from their role models. Where older singles, whether they're older singles that they're learning from or married couples, and I've already stated that, but we've led many small groups in our lives and when we have young people in those small, and this is, this is a DNA that we actually teach to our small groups, and we want them to look out for those young people and to come along beside them and teach them. That is invaluable. It's invaluable for the discipler. Uh, but you can imagine how invaluable that is for the person that is being mentored. You can also have singles that can learn from married couples. How valuable is that to have single people in the room that are watching husbands and wives interact with each other? That is a huge run-up to getting married. That is tremendous prep. Uh, for the people that get married, to spend time with couples who love God and love others, and they are willing to share what God is doing in their lives, and there are singles in the room that can participate and learn from that. And then, of course, the young married people can learn from the older and wiser married couples in the room. And so if you have a couple that uh, this is their first baby, and then you have couples that are empty nesters, that is a win-win because they can start walking them through the process in an intimate setting of a small group uh, situation. And then you have middle-aged couples who can learn to serve those who are much younger. 
Now, that is a huge thing because the tendency with older people, that would be me, the tendency could be is to step aside and let the younger people take over. I met a lady in Colorado a couple of years ago. She was in her 90s, and she asked me a transgender question. And I was just really floored by the question, and so I asked her, I said, how, how old are you? Now, we had already had a little bit of relationship, so I knew the question wouldn't offend her. And so I said, how old are you? And she told me, and it, it was 90, like 90, maybe a little north of 90. And, and then, I, then I, I, I said, I am just so encouraged that you're still in the game. You're still in the game because the temptation would be for a 90-year-old to like step aside. I was listening to a podcast. My son and I were listening to a podcast the other day, a couple days ago, where this older lady was interviewing this young Christian dude. And this older lady had to be bumping 70, bumping 70, sitting there at a desk with a headphones, microphone, doing her own podcast. (laughs) It was unbelievable it wasn't a good podcast and from a production from a production perspective it was terrible but i just praised god and i told my son that is just so awesome that this lady that she's still in the game she is still in the game it's an awful podcast but man she's still in the game and if she gets her reps in i imagine by the time she's 85 she is going to be killing it as far as a podcast is concerned and just like my friend in colorado now she told me the older lady asking me the transgender question she said it's my grandchildren that's why she was asking the question she's not giving up She's not quitting. She's still in the game because she wants to invest herself in her grandchildren. Now, she told me that there was a bittersweet thing going on in her life. She said, I really want to be with my husband who had already been promoted. But since she hadn't been promoted yet, she wants to learn as much. She wants to step into her ignorance, that infinite ignorance, and in this case, learn about transgenderism so that she can serve her grandchildren. Imagine having older people in the room that they don't know why this culture is this way. They don't understand the mechanics of this culture, but being exposed to the culture will help them to engage the culture and maintain a level of cultural relevance that they should maintain. There is no person, regardless of age, if they are not limited by health reasons, uh, uh, should be checking out, not until God calls us home. And so older people, learning from the younger people is a huge benefit, rather than sitting around in an older group where we just talk about our medicines and the things that are hurting on our bodies. But if we can uh, engage young people with nose rings and blue hair, we're going to learn what's going on. And we can offer wisdom into that younger generation. And and that's my final point here is that older people can not only learn from the younger generation, but they can offer wisdom to them as they're learning from them. And so you see this assimilation, and this is why I have always preferred a mixed group. I don't want to be with a group that's just my own age because... 
because we're all going to be saying the same things. We're all going to have the same experiences. We're all going to talk about the same classic rock songs that we listened to in the late 60s and 70s. And that's fine. I enjoy doing that. But there is so much that we can learn and grow and mature. And there's so much that we can speak into. And imagine having a sanctification group, a group of people who come together for the sole purpose of spurring one another on to love and good works. And so you have a safe context that's Christocentric, bibliocentric, and we want to do that for each other, and it's multi-generational. There is a lot of possibility here, and so that's why it's my preference. Now, this is episode 447. The title of the episode, I'm responding to a question that was asking me, how do you have a dynamic small group experience? And you can go and read what the lady wrote to me, and then you can also read some of the things that I've been sharing with you. Before I wrap up, I do want to get into some uh, specifics of a small group experience, because when you say small group, I think most people think about having one meeting a week or one meeting every two weeks, and that is the extent of their small group experience. If that is the extent of your small group experience, then you'll have a a limited small group experience. It'll be hard to have a vibrant small group experience because there's not enough connections. You see, in order to have a sanctification group, you have to have multiple connections with people throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year. One of the reasons that you want those multiple connections is because you're trying to build a relational bridge with that person. You're trying to strengthen the relationship. But if you're only meeting twice a month, meaning you're meeting every two weeks, or you're only meeting four times a month because you're only meeting a week, well, then it's going to take a lot longer to build that relational bridge. And so when we have led small groups, the small group meeting was a part. It was a quarter part. It was 25% of our methodology, just to say it that way, of how we did small groups. And so let me lay it out for you so that you can get an idea of how to maximize your small group experience by creating more connecting points with each other for the sole purpose that you could build relationships with each other so that you can spur one another on to loving good works. If you try to spur somebody on that you do not know, uh, well, your spurring may not be received very well. By the way, if you go back to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, let let us consider how we can spur one another on. Uh, that idea of spur is actually, it's kind of like automatopoeia. I mean, it, it sounds like what it is. And perhaps you can see a, a cowboy on a horse with spurs. Uh, the word spur, you can, from an etymological perspective, you can make a case that the word spur means to be a biblical irritant. And I do modify irritant with the word biblical because you don't want to be an irritant. You want to be a biblical irritant. And that is a biblical concept, to spur one another on, to irritate one another biblically. Not unbiblically, that would be unkind. But that is what God did to us. He, he came into our lives, and he began to rattle our cages, and he began to stir us up with the gospel. And for some of us, that was very uncomfortable. 
Uh, for some of us, we resisted, and some resisted mightily. But then God uh, just continued to impose himself, continued to spur uh, us on. And so that's that biblical irritation that I'm talking about. Well, if you're going to be a biblical irritant in someone's life by spurring them on to loving good works, you want to make sure that you have done the prerequisite work of building a relational bridge with that person, or it's just not going to work. And that's why a singular small group meeting once a week or every two weeks will not be enough in my view. And so what we did is that we looked at our small group in more of a multi-meeting context. Let me explain. Now, by the way, in episode 447, I have two infographics uh, that you can look at that explain, it lays out what I'm talking about here. And so the first, uh, so, so we saw our corporate meeting on Sunday morning as an extension of our small group meeting, the corporate meeting on Sunday morning when the entire church comes together. And so what we would do, I as the leader of the group and then my wife, what we would do is that we would connect with our small group, different small group members, and we would talk to them, tell a joke, slap them on the back, pray with them, have biblical fellowship. It just depends on uh, what the occasion called for when we interacted with each other. Obviously, we heard the word preached and we worshiped together. And so the corporate meeting on Sunday morning is, is an opportunity for us to make one connection with people in our small group. And then, of course, let's say on Wednesday night, you have your small group meeting. That's another connection. Now, if you're having small group once a week and you have a corporate meeting once a week, then you have eight connection points in a month with that person. The corporate meeting can be lighthearted. It can be short, but it's just a connection point. You do that four times a month. The small group meeting, well, it's more intimate and uh, it's enclosed. And you can have more intimate conversation with that person. And so it can be a little more intense and say whatever you may do on Sunday morning. But right there is eight connection points. And then what we would do is we would invite each couple in our small group over to our home uh, once a month or whatever the rotation was. If we had five couples in our small group, it would be on a rotating basis of every one in five. So every week we'd have a new couple over. And so that is another contact point. So that is that is nine. And so now in a month's time, we've connected with them nine ways. And then finally, the fourth context would be a guy-to-guy meeting, or Lucia would meet with a lady, woman-to-woman meeting. And we just do that once a month with the guys. I'd meet with a guy for breakfast, for lunch, for whatever. That's 10. And so it's four corporate meetings, four small group meetings, one couple-to-couple meeting, one guy-to-guy meeting. That's one-third of the month. That's one-third of the year that you're meeting with the people in your small group. And it's really not that hard because you're going to the church meeting on Sunday anyway, so it's not like you have to plan it. You're going to the small group anyway on Wednesday night, let's say, so you don't have to plan it. It's just what you do. And so really you just say, hey, I'll see you every fourth Thursday night of the month as a couple. Or you say with a guy, uh, the, the first Wednesday of every month, we'll do, we'll do Denny's together. We'll, we'll, we'll meet somewhere for breakfast. And once you set that up ad infinitum, 
then there's no planning to it at all. Then the only word that is really operative here is the word intentional, that you have to be intentional to do this. So if you just do a small group meeting once a week, four times a month, or twice a month, every two weeks, it'll be very hard to have a sanctification group. And so you can look at the graphic that I have here uh, in episode 447, and it walks through this. Let me finish with a couple other points. If the church's culture does not have a transparent, vulnerable, honest, courageous, charitable, authentic gospel DNA, then it will be hard to build this kind of sanctification group within that local body because the local body just doesn't embrace what I have been describing here. And so if you want a sanctification group, but the body uh, does not envision that and equip that, uh, it would be almost like, to, to use a negative analogy here, it'd be like a sickness uh, to where you would be invading a body that will not embrace what you are trying to do as a small group. That's something to consider. A sanctification group will have difficulty surviving in a larger church body that does not value, does not model, does not practice this larger sanctification culture because you want to benefit from the larger culture that values the very thing that you're trying to instill and envision in your small group members. But a church that values relationships, it begins with the leadership, and then it just spreads out throughout the church, and then you can build a sanctification group within that, and it can really flourish, and you're welcome to adopt some of the ideas and concepts that I've laid, laid forth here. Episode 447, How Do You Have a Dynamic Small Group Experience? Here's a few closing questions. Again, you can get them off the show notes. Number one, which type of group do you prefer? Mixed groups or gender specific? And why do you like them? And then the follow-up is, what are the upsides of your choice? Your preference, again, is a way, not the way. I've just shared a preference. I have not shared what the Bible teaches because the Bible does not teach what the questioner is asking me. And so we have purposeful freedom to do as we wish within certain reasonable boundaries. And so there are options here. Which type of group do you prefer and why? Number two. In what ways can a mixed small group experience supplement your parenting objectives? And that's why I spent a little bit of time outlining that just to give you some ideas. Number three, why is intentionality essential to have a small group ex experience the way that I have talked about it here? What would happen if the leader was not intentional about these strategies? And then number four, how would you describe your church culture as it relates to having an intentional, vulnerable, courageous, transparent, and honest desire to live together in community? Now, I would want you to be honest with the question I just asked you. And then do you believe a small group experience, as I have described it here, would it be able to survive and flourish within the larger church culture that you have? And then finally, number five. If you desire this kind of small group experience, what should be the first few steps that you need to take to install that kind of group? And I would encourage you to share your thoughts with someone so that you can come together and pray and plan together. And perhaps if you desire to have a sanctification group 
uh, within your local church. Uh, maybe these ideas will help you. I would also encourage you to go to episode 447. There's a lot of embedded links here that are all about small group life, and I trust that they will benefit you. Thank you so much. Episode 447, how to have a dynamic small group experience. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.